Hi, I'm Danielle. And I'm Josie. And welcome to The White Mouse Society. I have a slight confession to make. Hmm. I never watched Sailor Moon. <gasps> Do it now. Actually watch Sailor Moon Crystal. The, okay. The art isn't quite as good as the original, but it cuts out all the bullshit filler episodes. Oh, yeah. And um, I'm her- I hear there's a lot of those. There's a lot. And also, like, I don't really remember it having... I didn't. I don't know if I made it quite as far because I like recent last summer I did a huge rewatch of the entire Sailor Moon <laughs> series, and then I um, started Sailor Moon Crystal. Mm-hmm. Um, Sailor Moon has a really gross, um, like a fourteen-year-old girl dating like a mid-twenties guy. Oh yeah, that's a trope I've seen in a lot of anime and stuff. Yeah, and it just made me very uncomfortable and mm-hmm. stuff. So um yeah, anyways. <laughs> I don't remember um Sailor Moon Crystal really having that quite as bad. Oh, well that would be nice. Yeah. I'll I'll, I'll watch it after I watch Defenders and Jessica Jones. Does that have a second season or are people just rewatching? That first season of um, Jessica Defenders. Jones. Defenders. Defenders just came out. Yeah, we've been watching. And she's some, in it. Yeah, we've been watching the Defenders. I think we're on like episode three, but oh. four. But I see a lot of people like I'm watching Jessica Jones, and then Netflix being like Jessica Jones is our number watched thing, and I'm like, is that the first season or is there a new one I don't know about? Yeah, I'm. Um, I know that they're working on the next season, and okay. they just announced like I think the dates recently. But so maybe people are like, "Oh man, I just remembered how awesome Jessica Jones was. I'm gonna rewatch that." <laughs> mm-hmm. Because yeah, I want to rewatch it now too. She's my favorite. And then Power yeah. Man, who is not Power Man in this version of it. He's oh, Luke Cage? Just Luke Cage. He's Power Man in the comic books when they were the Defenders, but in this, he's not Power Man. He's just Luke Cage. Yeah. I think he's... I can't remember how many times... Like, I can't remember I think everything in like, about it when they dropped out... When they dropped the Power Man thing. Yeah, because I think currently in the comics, he's just Luke Cage because mm-hmm. he's awesome and doesn't need no alternate thing plus he's married to jessica jones so it's hard to be like yeah i'm married to jessica jones the superhero and i'm power man and then also i'm married to jessica jones and i'm luke cage also um on his wiki it says the alter ego is carl lucas oh uh, yeah actually um i think carl lucas is supposed to be his real yeah his real name so it's like Luke Cage is also Luke Cage is a better name. Yeah, it is. Totally a better <laughs> name. It's also a thing. Anyway, so we're not a that type no. of podcast. <laughs> well, we just needed a little bit of something to like help get us ready for what's about to happen. Um so unfortunately we missed last week. Yeah, it's my fault. Um, <laughs> no, like you moved. Stuff happens. Um, and we saw the lunar eclipse or solar eclipse. That's awesome. I did my hair. <laughs> you did. That's right. <laughs> Can't believe it. You're Crazy. a pretty blonde. I am. I need to go get more toner, but yay. <laughs> I didn't get to see any of the solar eclipse, but in seven years, I think that we are going to be able to see more of the solar eclipse. Oh, I thought it was going to be like more in Texas. Nope, it goes up through. Oh, like good. the line of the line of totality goes up closer to us. Nice. So in seven years you'll get to say, No, Josie, I can't record. I want to see the solar eclipse. Yes. <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, do you want to lead me into my first story? Yes. So um as a lead in to what Josie's gonna cover, um a couple like Two Fridays ago, Cal Penn and the other 15 members of the President's Committee of the Arts and Humanities resigned in protest. Um, It's crazy. They wrote, like, this really beautiful letter that um, each, like, each paragraph 
starts with a letter that uh, um, that spells out resist. I didn't so, know that. That's yeah, so cool. Yeah, the first letter of each paragraph spells out resist. <laughs> and um, Very artistic. Yes, it's really cool. Um, so, yeah, they were just like, after the shit that happened in Charlottesville and stuff like that, like, we're done. Yeah. And uh, the, this came after... Um, Trump had to disband his CEO one because so many of them were dropping out of his little committee. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. It's crazy. So everybody is bouncing from his ship. Yep, they are. Um, yeah. And then immediately after that, Steve Bannon on August 19th was forced out of the White House after a, a, a mooch-like interview with the American Prospect, which is an online, I think, only uh, news thing. I have never really heard of them before this. But um, in it, he called the Nazis in Charlottesville clowns and their ethno-nationalism a fringe element, which is really funny because, like, he is more into that whole low key. I'm not a white nationalist. I'm a economic nationalist. I just don't want those smart brown people coming into my white country type nationalist Nazi asshole. <laughs> Bannon's- Sorry. <laughs> a nationalist fine. is a nationalist is a nationalist. Right. Uh, so in this whole thing, Bannon supposedly claims that he didn't know that this conversation was on the record, but the American prospect doubts that because they called Bannon probably the most media savvy person in America. Interesting. Yeah. It's the, they're just, they're pretty sure he knew it was really weird because, uh, the American prospect is like more of a left wing news media people. And he praised them on, well, like this specific journalist whose name I already forgot, sorry guys, um, about his like article that covered North Korea and China. And he was just like, good job on that. And the guy was kind of weirded out by it. Um, but that was just like kind of the last straw. But apparently he was supposed to be pushed out like two weeks ago. So, well, now three weeks ago. So it's like he knew he was being pushed out. So have this really weird interview. The whole thing's weird. Um, After being fired or forced to resign, Bannon told the Weekly Standard, we still have a huge movement and we will make something out of this Trump presidency. But that presidency is over. It'll be something else. And there'll be all kinds of fights and there'll be good days and bad days. But that presidency is over. And when he says that presidency, he is referring specifically to the presidency that he was helping i mean we know we all call him president bannon like he's essentially saying his presidency is over guys like that's that's what he's saying here after saying things like that bannon immediately returned as head as bright of breitbart and that's not like a super big surprise he's kind of been yeah. saying the whole time if he was fired he'd go back mm-hmm. and um it's just the weird thing because he kind of returns with like the most insider knowledge a person could have because up until last Friday, he had security clearance as well. So he knows a lot of shit that's going in there. The question is, is what we are going to hear about, what he can legally say without being, you know, put in jail Mm -hmm. for talking about high clearance stuff. But this last week has been quite interesting. Politico did a really good article that talks about like oh last week's articles on Breitbart. Some of those articles include talking about White House aides. He took aim at, well, Breitbart took aim at several of the president's top aides in the White House, particularly Kushner and economic advisor Jerry Cohn. Cohn? I've not heard that name oh. recently. 
Yeah, Cone. The site mocked Kushner's trip to the Middle East and took offense to an interview Cone gave, criticizing Trump's response to the recent white supremacist rally in Charlotte, Virginia. He, they tweet, uh, talked about Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell saying that, like, they're always criticizing them because, you know, they're the man and Breitbart's all about alt-right, which is right, but Nazi. Um, (laughs) (laughs) The site highlighted Trump's comments blaming Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell and House Speaker Paul Ryan for the state of negotiations around raising the debt ceiling prominently on the homepage and hit McConnell for his poor approval rating in a recent poll. They questioned Trump's Afghanistan strategy, which is like makes sense because um, during the whole thing of yeah, he did totally during the whole like getting Bannon out of the White House. He wasn't invited to the meeting that was talking about Afghanistan and, you know, Bannon being a economic nationalist, he doesn't want the U.S putting resources into other countries. So he always advised Trump not to do that. And Trump for the past so many years was just like, no, we need to pull out of Afghanistan and then did a complete and total flip-flop. And is just like, no, now we're going to put money in people into Afghanistan for an undetermined amount of time. Unlike uh, what Obama did was just like, let's put a, was it a, like a date or was it uh no it, it was, was a date mm-hmm. yeah it was an end date yeah he didn't he didn't put an end date on it like obama did and was just like that was our problem even though he was saying that we should have like it's a whole flip-flop thing like he completely changed his mind about it and but i not super props to him i guess he actually kind of admitted the how he changed his mind on it but it's like i've got new information and when i have new information i'm allowed to change my mind and yeah sure i guess you are Mm -hmm. but your whole reason for staying in afghanistan is completely different um you know money oil other stuff like that. Uh, back to Breitbart. Sorry. <laughs> I kind of went off my whole thing there. Um, so he, Breitbart also covered Confederate monuments. They were eager to cover the debate on what to do about the, yeah, the remaining monuments around the country and growing movement to remove them. Bannon recently told the New York Times that he wants Democrats to talk more about the issue because he thinks it's politically good for Trump. The race identity politics of the left wants to say it's all racist. Just give me more. Tear down more statues. Say the revolution is coming. I can't get enough of it. The <sighs> It's really frustrating. Um my my big thing with like the statues mm-hmm. is that um, having them up is glorifying um, these people that tried to leave that tried to secede uh-huh. and um, I mean also like fought to keep slaves yeah it's like, because they thought that owning people was cool um, and you once again as many people have pointed out you do not see anything dealing with Nazis in germany no does this mean that they are uneducated in their history no No. it does not yeah no it's this weird thing of like yeah sure most countries don't put up statues commemorating the losing side of a civil war but apparently america does and if we looked at the timeline i might have a link in the show description for this i found a really nice one that basically like showed the timeline of when most of those monuments went up and i think it was the 20s wasn't it um i don't have the date but it's basically during the jim crow laws and civil rights movement so 50s 60s well like two different type like times possibly the 20s possibly and then also 50s 60s but it was in direct response to black people you know wanting equal rights so these mm-hmm. racist states and cities and people put up monuments 
to scare them. Yeah, to just, say, exactly. To say, remember your place, quote unquote. Yeah. It's so fucked. It is. So it, they should definitely take these monuments down. They have no place for this bullshit here in America. We need to move past it. You don't need monuments for people who wanted to keep black people as slaves and wanted to scare them with these monuments. It just doesn't make any sense. If we need monuments saying good things about people during that time, how about we do stuff on the winning side of people who were fighting for people's rights or specifically black people who fought in the Civil War and were doing it either because they were forced or because they were fighting for their own freedom. That's, you know, an idea. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so they've got a lot about that. Then they also did a lot about cheering for Trump's Phoenix rally. Um, Breitbart's homepage drew plenty of attention to Trump's combative freewheeling rally speech that's a interesting way of putting it in phoenix arizona last tuesday cheering the president's tax on the media for its lies and complaining that i i had to watch um like i went to drag trivia last tuesday and they had um tvs on in the bar that were on the news and so i ended up having to watch quite a bit of it while i was sitting there trying to um guess which madonna song was playing that is a such a weird combination <laughs> yes it was it was really interesting um yeah uh um, one of the TVs was CNN. Another one was um, a Canadian like news thing that kind of just would like pop in and out with things. And it, the Canadian one called it a campaign like rally. And I was like, oh, sweet Canada. No, it he's, is a campaign. He's already campaigning. Like, like, the, it's being paid for by his campaign for 2020 president, presidential election. Like It is. It, yeah, it's what it is. Um, my favorite part was like him like painting himself as the victim in the Charlottesville like I know oh my god yeah and yeah make this more of a dear white people situation god damn it I know but that's actually the last of my story on Bannon because you know fuck him he's out and we're gonna keep hearing about him because he's now back in Breitbart and is going to probably be pro-Trump and anti-Trump. You know, it's like, hey, good, we're going to... Basically, they're going to be like, here, Trump, this is what we like about you. And then also, hey, Trump, this is what we don't like about you. Like, that's what they're going to do. Yeah. It also reminds me, uh, there's a bingo card that was made by, I believe it was The Daily Show. Yeah, of all the people Um, being fired, right? Yeah, and like, (laughs) who's left? And... Wow, there's not a lot of people left. Um, no. who, do, who do you think will be next? Because, uh, let me see. I think it's going to be Kellyanne or Sessions next. Oh, I think it's going to be Sessions before Kellyanne. Kellyanne still is like hardcore fighting for Trump. She is, but they've been keeping her so quiet for so long. That's because like people were kind of getting tired of her. Not because she was actually saying anything that the president didn't like. Oh, okay, that makes sense. That's what I think. Yeah, anyway. this is um, this is called the celebrity a president <laughs> instead of apprentice. Yeah, <laughs> that's good. Uh, it's it's really great. Um, I don't know. Oh, it's also fucked. Um, <laughs> the um, really quick the numbers at the Trump rally are like really confusing and weird. Mm-hmm. He said that there were like fifteen thousand. He said that there was like more than that. Um, and then the like sheriff's the department. Police, yeah, the police. Um, this comes from the Arizona Central um, newspaper. The Phoenix Police Department previously confirmed that at least another five thousand people were waiting outside. Although the ratio of Trump protesters and supporters were like unclear. Um, yeah, who was there to the, support and who was there to protest? Exactly. The venue's capacity was 19,000. Um, oh, really? 19,000? I thought it was uh, only like, like 2,000. The, a Phoenix Convention Center spokeswoman said the venue's capacity was 19,000, but would not provide with the crowd count Tuesday evening. Like, That's so funny because, like, I read something. Kept, oh, they just kept referring to the. Um, 
to the Trump campaign for it. Oh, see, I saw another one. Um, I'll have to show it to you if I can find it. That was specifically like in response to like tweeting at Trump saying that the uh, building capacity was only like 2,200. Mm-hmm. So those are conflicting informations. Yeah. Yeah, this is, uh, yeah, I got it from Arizona Central, which is um, kind of like an Arizona news website. Um, yeah, like, so it's, it's like, kind of reliable. The, cr- the one I saw was on Twitter, so. Oh, gotcha, yeah. Um, the crowd outside, the protesters were around 5,000. Allegedly, there was, there were cops throwing gas um, bombs at the protesters. What the fuck? A little bit. Um, I'm not 100%, like, Sometimes you just... There is actual fake news out there, so... Yes. Oh, I found the PolitiFact. Oh, PolitiFact is a good one. Yes. Okay. Yeah, so anyway, does that kind of lead you into your story? Yeah, um, we'll post the PolitiFact thing to our Facebook page. Nice. Trump did um, something that was slightly expected, still really fucked up this past week. Um, he, He's he been teasing uh, it for a while. He has been. He pardoned Joe Arpaio, who is Sheriff Joe. Fucking racist. Yeah, he, uh, he's America's toughest sheriff. He's from um, Maricopa County. He was voted into office in 1994. Damn. Yeah, and he served five terms... Yep. Um, yeah, he was voted. Oh, wait, he was voted in in 1992. Sorry about that. Even longer. Uh, yeah. Um, there was not much news about him in his first two years. And then slowly after that, it was getting crazier. He would like he was very hard on um, immigrants and the Latina, the Latinx community. Um, he created like the, Yes. He created like the all, the first all female chain gang uh, in 1996. Uh, that's uh, not the type of all woman thing that you really want to read. <laughs> no, no, not at all. Um, it's crazy. Um, yeah. So last month, a federal judge had found Sheriff Arpaio guilty of criminal contempt for defying a court order to stop detaining immigrants based solely on the suspicion that they were in the country illegally. Suspicion. Yes. Mm. And Trump used his constitutional power to block a federal judge's effort to enforce the Constitution for this. Uh, Arpaio was be- had faced a sentence of up to six months in jail. That's Just it. six months. That's it. Yeah. Um, <sighs> it's the stuff that he did is just, it's horrifying. There were many people that he killed, like, just because of, like, his actions. Mm-hmm. The in the jail up. systems, yeah. Um, in 19, like, for instance, in 1996, Scott Norberg died after being suffocated in one of Arpeo's restraint chairs after being descended on by 14 guards beating, shocking, and suffocating him. That he would create, like, these tent cities mm-hmm. um i read an article about this guy who um got a dui and he had to live in one of those tent cities like he was able to go to work but he had to live outside in if you don't know anything about arizona the winters and the summers are incredibly harsh you'd get up to 115 to 116 degrees there was no real coverage from mm-hmm. the sun there was no anything the winters there wasn't and much there's these fucking provided. tent cities are like yeah. no insulation so no insulation whatsoever it's, it's hotter actually- inside the tents sometimes exactly so like this guy he would have to go to work and then he'd have to return to the tent city and stuff because <sighs> of the type of stuff that he was going under yeah so um Sorry, it's just, it's really depressing. There's so much um, shit. Like There is, there really is. Um, there's a woman who had, was forced to give birth in one of these tent cities while being handcuffed down to her bed. Yeah. It's multiple women, actually. That's happened multiple times. And there was, I can't remember an article. I actually first heard about this asshole um, talking about these tent cities that was specifically because he was arresting and jailing so many people that they didn't have room, but also refused to move any of his 
I don't know. They're not convicts, but prisoners. So that's why, like, part of the um, argument of why he came up with these tent cities. Mm -hmm. So many people died because of his actions. There's, um, sorry, I don't want to take over your your story. It's just so Uh, much. In 2015, Felix Torres was pulled over on his bicycle for riding the wrong way up the street and found to be in possession of drug paraphernalia. While in jail awaiting trial, he was taken to the county medical center for severe stomach pain. Though Torres said he had a history of ulcers, doctors decided he had a hernia and gave him a drug not recommended for people with ulcers. After being returned to jail, Torres spent the next few days crying, writhing and paying him, begging the guards to help him or take him to the hospital. Torres began banging on his cell and asking for help, but an officer told him, you're bullshitting, go to sleep. On the night he died, Torres asked multiple officers for help, telling them he was dying. You're fucking faking it, one replied. His family would receive a million dollars. It's not that, enough. Yeah. The thing is, is that like he was arrested and taken to jail for riding a bike. His bicycle the wrong way. What is the wrong way? Because, um, um, so you are so, like, if you are riding a bicycle, you are supposed to act as a car, right? You are supposed to be like on the right side of the road. Um, but I've also remember growing up hearing that uh, as a child, if I rode my bicycle, I was supposed to actually ride on the opposite side against traffic so that I could see and the cars could see me sort of a thing. Yeah. But so, you know, I think that's for kids. Yeah. But, but it's um, still bullshit. Like, that's not a thing to be arrested for. No. Absolutely not. So as we mentioned before, with like the infamous tent cities, um, there's no AC, etc. Arizona heat can reach 145 degrees Fahrenheit within the tents Mm. and inmates shoes would melt. The showers were kept at near boiling temperatures. Um, The tents were unheated during the winter. He would not um, permit warm clothing, not even jackets. That's insane. The, deta- the detainees wrapped their extremities with plastic bags. Arpaio instituted the chain gangs, and then he also did he did the first female ones. Then he also did juvenile chain gangs. Like his his prisons were completely inhumane. Like when you're in prison, like it's not supposed to be like a vacation. Like you're not supposed to like be get like tons of luxuries, perks, and luxuries, mm-hmm. but you were still like you still should be provided like some humanity like something like most prisons have like tv and stuff like that and coffee and whatnot to kind of just because they are supposed to be rehabilitation places yeah you're supposed to go there in order to be rehabilitated learn from your mistakes and like enter society a better person mm-hmm. not starved or dying during yes. the process yeah, so there was no coffee, no cigarettes, no newspapers, and no television. Sometimes um, Arpeo would allow the weather channel. So, quote, these morons will know how hot it's going to be while they are working on my chain gangs. He fed inmates meals that cost as little as 15 cents each and was proud of the fact that the food was rotten and contaminated. Only two meals were provided per, per day leading some inmates to lose unhealthy amounts of weight. A federal court eventually ordered Arpeo to meet USDA requirements, though. But, like, it's insane. Like, just, you have to just barely meet our requirements, man. He Um, once did a political stunt with his prisoners, say, like, segregating Latino people and surrounding them with an electrified, electrified fence, too. It was a political stunt. Publicly, he did this shit. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Arpeo imposed a bread and water diet on any detainee found committing an unpatriotic act. And those what are, the like, what he... What he deemed? Yeah, what he deemed as unpatriotic. So, medical care for those who suffered from mental illness was dangerously inadequate. He tortured inmates who were on psychotropic medicine by locking them in unbearably hot, solitary confinement cell- cells. <sighs> 
Those with physical vulnerabilities were mistreated too. A paraplegic had his neck broken by guards and a pregnant woman lost her baby after officers left her in her cell instead of taking her to the hospital. Oh, that paraplegic guy. That was the guy I talked about. He was, Mm -hmm. yeah, he was asking for HIV medication. Jesus. Yeah, it even took a federal corridor to ensure functional and sanitary toilets and sinks with toilet paper and soap. So not only is this place like overcrowded because he's just arresting people willy nilly for just being brown. Then you just have like no sanitary, like anything. So you are completely dehumanizing people plus denying them like anything. Yes. He also publicly boasted like comparing his own prisons to concentration camps. He was proud of that, guys. That's not okay. Um, not. He, inter- he introduced a policy that uh, though only those who could prove they were U.S. citizens could visit family in jail. Mm-hmm. So detained immigrants could not see their spouses or children. At one point, an interpreter and U.S. citizen who worked for the county was also prohibited from entering the facility because he was Latino. <gasps> What and could f- not instantly produce paperwork showing his citizenship. Paperwork? So, oh my god. Oh my god. That's so fucked up. Yeah, he. I mean, if you don't think this guy's racist, if you think he's just tough on prisoners, tough on bad guys, no, the fact that he legit wouldn't let somebody who wasn't being detained in any way in because he was Latino and couldn't prove that he wasn't that he was an American citizen, like, you know, a lot of people don't have their fucking birth certificates or their social security cards on them. That's so bullshit, guys. This guy's so clearly racist. So also, like, just a reminder, these are jails that we're talking about. These aren't even the prisons. Okay. Oh, Once yeah. Again. There we go. Yeah, this is jails. And jails aren't intended to be punishment. Most people in them haven't even been convicted of a crime yet. So kind of like that DUI guy who's just like, yeah, mm-hmm. no, we're not, we can't put you in prison for this, but we're going to f- force you to live in a, a prison camp, basically. But it's jail. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, it's just, it is just non-stop everything that that he did it's just unbelievable um some people are beginning to argue that um trump's like pardoning is uh, an impeachable offense there's quite a few people who are coming out and saying like it technically follows the law but it's challenging it it's not really quite impeachable yet um it's really hard to say i lost my freaking thing about Oh, well, impeachment. Well, I'll read something for people while you look that back up. Um, Speaking back on in 2013, a federal judge confirmed what literally everyone in Phoenix knew. He had been racially profiling, profiling Latinos. Uh, So naturally, he hired a private investigator to investigate the judge and his wife. Oh, my God. Yeah. And then this is the whole thing that he did. Like, he kept profiling people after that, which is why he was charged with contempt of court and was found to be guilty as fuck. Um, He also tried to destroy some of the hard drives containing material that was supposed to be turned over to the court. Mm -hmm. Uh, By 2015, his fondness for racial profiling had actually cost the county more than $44 million on top of, you know, ruining lives. And I'm quoting this from the Phoenix New Times Twitter feed. In case anyone hasn't read it, there's a lot more in there. Yeah. Okay, so um, sorry about that. I found the stuff. So um, as we've mentioned before, that Trump hasn't really done anything that's completely impeachable yet. Like Um, he's he's been towing the line. Mm -hmm. He's been towing the line. There's been more um, substantial, not substantial, um, circumstantial evidence and stuff towards it, but nothing really concrete quite yet. Um, Slate posted an article about why this pardon is impeachable and um, they quote Professor Martin Reddish who talked to the New York Times um, about it saying that this particular pardon ought to be deemed constitutionally invalid because it offends the due process clause 
because the only effective redress for those whose rights were violated by then-Sheriff Arpaio when he defied the court's injunction in a contempt sanction and voiding that sanction with a pardon both neuters the judicial system to enforce constitutional rights and deprives Arpaio's victims of relief. So it's basically just denying his victims any kind of justice Mm -hmm. because Trump is just like, you don't, he doesn't even get to see, like, he doesn't even get to see court. Like, he doesn't even get to see, like, a real day in court for yeah, this. Yes, because he pardoned him not just for, like, what the state was trying to do, but against any, like, future lawsuits mm-hmm. pertaining to this thing. That's such bullshit. It is. It's really upsetting because, yeah, because there's so many, like, obstructions of justices that he's kind of, like, doing, but nobody is really pulling the trigger on it quite yet. Mm-hmm. Because they are treating it more as circumstantial, which is depressing. Uh, top judges, though, in the U.S. have remained silent with Trump's pardoning. Hmm. They've just they just have not like stepped in any kind at any time. I wonder the, if that means anything. I I feel like it's fear. Yeah, I can see that. Um, it might be because they're like. I don't even know. I can't, I can't think of what would be doing this. Um, Leaders of Congress, leaders in Congress, including Paul Ryan, as well as the American Bar Association and civil rights groups have all blasted this pardon. And um, many critics focused on his event disdain for the judiciary because Trump has just been steamrolling over the, um, the judicial branch of government. Absolutely. This entire, this entire eight months. Mm-hmm. From day one. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really, it's an interesting thing. So I don't know if maybe they're silent because they are working on something that they're preparing for other things. If they're taking notes, I'm not sure. Yeah. There's like, there's a bunch of other stuff happening that I will talk to you after you do your next story. <laughs> I just, yeah. um, well, unfortunately I'm going to be inter. Well, I don't know. Unfortunately, whatever. I'm interjecting with a di- different story, even though your stories are kind of related a little bit, but That's um, okay. I'm going to talk a little bit about the hurricane Harvey disaster that is still ongoing. Um, a tropical storm Saturday afternoon moved inland We have known about it for a while. The effect of Hurricane Harvey has left about 300,000 people without power power, and water floods the streets, creating eerie images of highways that now appear more like rivers than roads. Um, Officials urged caution in anticipation of catastrophic and life-threatening floods in the days to come, particularly the southeast Texas, where the total... the total accumulation of rain could be as high as 50 inches. That's almost as tall as I am, guys. That's crazy. Yeah. It, like, it's, it's devastating. It's already hit in Louisiana. Yeah, yeah. Um, Trump approved, like, I think it was a disaster declaration as well as a, uh, oh, I can't remember the other one. It's like a step below disaster declaration for Louisiana and the disaster one was for Texas. Yeah, it exceeds any previous Texas rainfall record, according to National Weather Services Weather Prediction Center. Meanwhile, Houston's sheriff office, sheriff's office has said that its 911 center has been inundated with calls as thousands try to flee from disastrous conditions, with some using social media to post their addresses to ask for help. Uh, an example of this is on Twitter when the sheriff's office has said that all emergency outlets were being used and to please only call 911 if you are in immediate danger and not if your house has an inch or two of water because unfortunately people think that that's more that's I mean I get that it's hard and it's not good if your house is being flooded but if you've only got a few inches it's not as bad as people being moving up onto the roofs of their homes because they their whole house is flooded. But um, anyway, people then began to try to reply to that tweet 
by the hundreds, almost thousands of requests for help because they could not call 911 or the Red Cross because their lines were just so filled up. On on Sunday, Texas Governor Greg Abbott said about 3,000 National and State Guard have been called in to help. Um, The National Weather Service advised residents stuck in flooded areas to go to their roofs uh, if the highest floor of your home becomes dangerous. They also warned residents not to enter their attics because you cannot usually get from the attic to the roof. You have Mm -hmm. to go back down and then you might trap yourself. Um, In a press conference on Saturday, Texas Governor Greg Abbott again urged Texans to stay away from flood water that could be deeper and more dangerous than it looks. Turn around, don't drown, don't risk your life, he said. According to the Times, officials also told residents not to drive on the roads as they flooded. Um, That statement, turn around, don't drown, don't risk your life, is actually a thing that is constantly being stated in Texas when it comes Mm -hmm. to their floods. Um, Basically, if you can't see the road or the sidewalk, don't drive in it because it usually it's deeper than it looks yeah and the currents can drive or like wash cars away with just a few more inches than you think is there like it's a constant problem with flooding Water is a powerful mm-hmm. like element like it's crazy um i actually saw a video on twitter uh a truck like a semi-truck that was trapped in the water but the driver was still in it um oh yeah i saw that too. and yeah i can't remember if we've discussed like the yeah we have discussed on the on the podcast the law about like not being able to leave your truck mm-hmm. and so that might be why neil gorsuch um was the one who ruled against like yeah. leaving your truck because you're you're allowed to be fired if you leave your truck for any reason um <laughs> even if it's life-threatening um and stuff and like a a news reporter like saved the guy that's in it no oh, that's it was, good he was uh, yeah i saw that he was able to flag people down to come save him and stuff mm-hmm. um yeah so as of the time that we're recording i actually just got an update the total number number of deaths is at eight jesus which is actually kind of surprisingly low and still too high yes i think it's i think what's happening is that it's not quite hitting as hard as we thought yeah it was it was actually downgraded yeah which like is a positive thing but we still need to be careful yeah the Um, danger is not over yet no absolutely not and then um trump is like tweeting out stuff like that's just like a rainstorm and he's not even tweeting about like the the people he has yeah it's he's tweeting it's like i was gonna say he's tweeting about the storm nonstop in a weird way showing concern for people in texas while at the same time being completely obtuse about it like he's tweeting about the storm like you said not the people yes um kind of it's kind of not really empathetic Mm-mm. in any way Mm-mm. and during this whole thing he has also been tweeting about mexico's wall that they're gonna apparently pay for um a tweet specifically is like with mexico being one of the highest crime nations in the world we must have the wall mexico will pay for it though through reimbursement slash other uh, yeah right he <laughs> Also, Mexico is not paying for this bullshit. Yeah, no, he tweeted that yesterday morning, by the way, guys. Like, well, Sunday morning, guys. Um, It's just. A fucking idiot. Yeah, uh, we are in the NAFTA worst trade deal ever made renegotiation process with Mexico and Canada, but both being very difficult. May have to terminate? Question mark. It's this ridiculous thing. Like, I mean, we told you guys about how we heard we got those transcripts from conversations with the president uh, mexican president he was basically like you cannot say that to the press about not being not paying for the wall trump said repeatedly to um 
the president in response to his public refusal to fund the border wall. If you're going to say that Mexico is not going to pay for the wall, then I do not want to meet with you guys anymore because I cannot live with that. He's such a child, like a petulant child with that. And like while saying this bullshit, Mexico is like specifically Mexican foreign prime minister, Luis Vidiguera, or v- I don't know how to pronounce his name, guys. Sorry. <laughs> uh, spoke with Texas Governor Greg Abbott by phone Sunday evening to offer aid, quote, as good as as good neighbors should always do in trying times. Um, as we have done it in the past, Mexico stands with Texas in this difficult moment. The government of Mexico takes this opportunity to express its full solidarity with the people and government of the United States for the damages caused by Hurricane Harvey in Texas. That one was the uh, Foreign Affairs Mexican Secretariat of Foreign Affairs. Mexican Mexican officials also responded by saying that the the country would not pay for the wall as a principle of national sovereignty and dignity. So it's like, hey, we're going to help you pay for this, but also shut up about that wall. Like, we're trying to be nice here. Yes. We... They just seriously need to shut the fuck up about the stupid wall. Yeah, like in it's the middle of this anything. bullshit. Yes. It's almost like Mexico was like, hey, we're going to help you guys. And Trump saw it was like, and also the wall. And then Trump's like, or Mexico's like, no, not we're not helping in that way. Like, sit down. <laughs> right? Like, what are you doing? Um, There was one tweet. There's so many tweets. I mean, if you oh, if you don't want to follow Trump, but you also don't want to continuously go to his Twitter to see what it says, like I do, you can follow um, Impeach Trump. I think it's called. Let me let me. Oh yeah. They what they do is they retweet, not retweet. They quote. No, no. It's more like copy they paste. Screen tap. <laughs> it's more like oh. copy paste. They they tweet everything that Trump and the vice president say so you don't have to follow them plus they even keep the deleted tweets up oh wow interesting um also there's if you would like to know what trump sees in his feed every day um there's (gasps) a new there's a new twitter that was created called trump's feed and um what the person does is he follows like everybody that Trump follows and retweets everything that they tweet. Oh my it's gosh. It's a bot. That's interesting. Yeah. All the 45 people that he follows. Yes. It's actually really intense. Like it's a lot of just very much um, propaganda for him. <laughs> I can see that. I mean, it's kind of like his feel good folders that he gets twice a day. Mm-hmm. Um, Anyway, to end my story, FEMA has advised people who are sheltering in place to stay indoors and listen to local officials. People looking for open shelters in their area can find one using the FEMA app or by sending a text message message to 4FEMA, which is 43362, with the word shelter and their zip code. People can also find or apply for assistance online at disasterassistance.gov. FEMA also advised people looking for help, like to help, to donate to a nonprofit and link to a list of organizations that help in disaster recovery. So while I'm sure people who are stuck in Texas probably have better things to worry about than, you know, listening to our podcast if you are listening and want to help people donate to this nonprofit and other organizations like it's it's what we need to do the last thing is that while trump is tweeting all about this stuff i have a tweet by someone called cara vallo um Teenage Sleuth is at their at Teenage Sleuth. They posted a picture of 
Executive Order 13690, establishing a federal flood risk management standard and a process for further soliciting and considering stakeholder input. In January 2015, President Obama issued an executive order requiring all federal investments involving flood plans to meet higher flood risk management standards. And it went into date in January 30th. And then deregulatory action. On August 15th, 10 days before the storm hit Texas, President Trump issued an executive order revoking Executive Order 13690. So the one that he put in. 10 days before the storm, Trump took away basically things that were supposed to help shit like this. And now... He's trying to say he's so a part of the help, like the movement to help it, but he took shit away from it right before. So I don't care how much he's like saying good things on Twitter. He's not actually helping. He's just saying words. It is just all words. Um, Empty, empty words. So... (sighs) On to right. your last story. <laughs> uh, actually, I technically have two, but they're pretty short. Oh, um, sorry. <laughs> no, that's okay. Like, I completely forgot about one of them. And then I was like, oh, shit, that's right. There was that other one. So um, there are rumblings of some impeachment documents going in. Um, Ooh. Uh, Representative Steve Cohen uh, from Tennessee. I believe he's the ninth district of Tennessee. I'm going to feel really stupid if I'm wrong. Um, anyways, he's from Memphis. Um, he is announced like he announced this last Thursday that he is filing articles of impeachment against Trump over his comments about the white supremacist protests in Charlottesville. Interesting. Um, as soon as the Congress goes back to session, he's, he made a a video statement posted online. I posted it on our Facebook page just so everybody can go check it out. Nice. Um, he stated that he is planning on it or um, doing this, filing these articles of impeachment. Um, he was asked at a news conference if the Republican leadership is going to allow the impeachment hearing soon. And he quipped, I think it's more likely we're going to have snow tomorrow. So he knows <laughs> that it is unlikely in the near future, but he still wants to. Yeah. And this isn't the first time people have done like official impeachment papers and stuff like that, but like they're doing something. Exactly. He was asked by the press uh, what kind of specifics that he was going to be putting on the articles of impeachment. And he stated that the high crimes and misdemeanors language in the Constitution is really vague, but um, impeachment is a political question. Mm. So in theory, Congress could technically impeach a president just for jaywalking. Yeah. But um, yeah, he said... um, Uh, He made a Twitter post that said, after comments on Charlottesville, I'll be introducing articles of impeachment against against Trump. No good Nazis or Klansmen. Hashtag impeach Trump. Oh, yeah. Because I didn't do a episode last week. um, I didn't get to make my joke where I'm just going to be like, President Trump, actual Nazi supporter slash sense of sympathizer i i didn't do it very well but anyway (laughs) that's okay okay. actual Um, nazi pause (laughs) in a statement um, released earlier cohen said that instead of unequivocally condemning hateful actions by neo-nazis white nationalists and klansmen following a national tragedy the president said that there were fine people very fine people on both sides Uh. And he said, there are no good Nazis, there are no good Klansmen. Um, Trump has, quote, failed the test of moral leadership. Who And he is the top Democrat of the House Judiciary Committee subcommittee on the Constitution and Civil Justice. So nor, no moral president would ever shy away from outright condemning hate, intolerance, and bigotry. No moral president would ever question the values of Americans protesting in opposition of such actions, one of whom was murdered by one of the white nationalists. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, so there's there's definitely some people still standing in the way, but it's nice to see some people are taking a stand. Yeah, it um, is good to see that. Uh, Roger Stone, who is Trump's monster advisor, 
he kind of looks like a rock monster. <laughs> His face is very hard. It's weird. Um, he warned that any politician who votes to impeach Trump would endanger their own life. He has warned that a bloody civil war could erupt if the president is impeached. Um, Roger Stone predicted an insurrection like you've never seen if politicians sought to remove Trump from the White House. And, cl- and he also claimed that any politician who voted to topple him would be endangering their own life. Sounds more like a threat than a warning. Exactly. He's, he is off his rocker. Um, support for Trump's removal from office has risen to 40% among the American public. And this is according to a poll by the Public Religion Research Institute. Hmm. They posted that earlier this August. Um, Roger Stone, like in a video for TMZ, actually, TMZ kind of ran into him at a... Um, airport and they were talking to him about it and roger stone said try to impeach him just try it you'll have a spasm of violence in this country an insurrection like you'll like you've never seen the people will not stand for impeachment a politician that votes for it would be endangering their own life sounds like a reason to impeach him yes he once again said about the civil war that might happen um friggin james woods has tweeted about like a civil war happening fucking james Um, woods Roger Stone um, continued, both sides are heavily armed. There would be violence on both sides. Hmm. He's not advocating violence, but he is predicting it. Those are his words. Like, I can see that being a valid prediction, but again, it sounds kind of more like a threat than a warning or prediction. Also, yeah, if there is a civil war, it's going to be started by racist Nazis. Exactly. So. Just like our original Civil War. Um, yeah. Anyways, so the uh, Stone continued, the people who are calling for impeachment are the people who didn't even vote for him. They need to get over it. They lost. Sorry he whipped Hillary Clinton's ass. It's over. You lost. And it's like, you don't understand how this works. Um, mm-hmm. Robert Reich said the president was a clear and present danger to America and must be removed from office. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. 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 Um, but yeah, so that's, that's that, uh, quick little story before we head into women of the woman of the week, the secret service is out of money. They've already hit their, um, caps well, more than 1,000, more than 1,000 of the agents have already hit the federally mandated caps for salary and overtime allowances, which were meant to last the entire year and overtime guys. Yes. Um, the president has a large family and our responsibility is required in law security service. I mean, secret service director Randolph Tex Alice told USA today. I can't change that. I have no flexibility. Um, some people have stated that like Obama cut the, um, before he left office, he quickly like did like a quick cut of how much the secret service has. And it's like, that's not how it works. And I like saw some things that said that, like, he raised it. I'm not 100% on that, but even still, like, it didn't change. Um, 42 people in Trump's administration have protection. 18 of those people are his family. He has a big family. This is an increase from the 31 people who had Secret Service protection in Obama's administration. Yeah. Like, so no one's blaming him for having a big family. And obviously the Secret Service needs to protect all of them. The problem isn't how many people, it's how much they're being dispersed because his adult children are constantly going on like vacations and stuff. And Trump is constantly going on vacations. Yeah. And the fact that like his wife was not living in, um, not living in the white house as well. Yeah, exactly. And it's just like for the first few months, but yeah, I don't know. It's one of those things where it's like, I don't want to say, obviously we shouldn't be, having people protect them because even though I hate them, that is their job. And it's what like that position is for. Mm -hmm. It's maybe don't go to the Mar-a-Lago every weekend. There's a golf course in DC. Maybe as his children don't. But he doesn't own that golf course in DC. No. Yeah. Cause he won't earn any money having people go there with him. 
Mm-hmm. His adult children uh, don't have to go on so many uh, vacations outside of the United States. And there was even a one that suggested that they hire their own private security detail because, you know, they yeah. can do that. <laughs> um, in June, CNN reported that the Secret Service relaxed their drug policy for potential hires and um, text Alice. Um, laid out a plan to swell the agency's ranks by more than 3,000 employees in the coming years. Really? Um, According to another report, Ellis met with congressional lawmakers to discuss planned legislation to increase the combined salary and overtime cap for agents from 160,000 per year to 187,000. And he told USA Today that this is going to be at least for Trump's first term. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Um, he added that even if this was approved, about 130 agents still wouldn't be paid for hundreds of hours they've already worked. This is a mess. It is. Yeah. It's a mess. <sighs> Woman of the Week. Yeah. So, we got an awesome lady. Her name is Bessie Coleman. She is from Texas, guys. I decided to do a Texas lady. Um, Bessie Coleman, one of the first licensed female pilots and the world's first black female aviator and barnstormer, had a spectacular but brief career in air shows. Bessie Coleman was born on January 26, 1892, in a one-bedroom, dirt-floored cabin in Atlanta, Texas, to George and Susan Coleman. She was the 12th of 13 children. Holy cow, so many kids. So many. Her mother, Susan, was a former slave and could not read or write, but she borrowed books so Bessie could learn to read. Education for Coleman was limited to eight grades and a one-room schoolhouse that closed whenever the students were needed in the fields to help their families harvest cotton. Coleman easily established her position as family leader, reading aloud to her siblings and her mother at night. She often assured her ambitious church-going mother that she intended to amount to something. After completing school, she worked as a laundress and saved her pay until 1910, when she left for Oklahoma to attend Langston University. She left after one year when she ran out of money. Back in Waxahachie, Coleman again worked as a laundress until 1915, when she moved to Chicago, Illinois, to live with her older brother, Walter. Within months, she became a manicurist and moved to a place of her own while continuing to seek and finally, in 1920, to find the goal for her life, to become a pilot. After befriending several leaders in Southside Chicago's African-American community, Coleman found a sponsor in Robert Abbott, who lived from 1868 to 1940, publisher of the nation's largest African-American weekly, the Chicago Defender. There were no African-American aviators, pilots in the uh, aviators in the area, and then no white pilot was willing to teach her to fly. Coleman turned to Abbott, who suggested that she go to France. The French, he insisted, were not racist and the world's leaders in aviation. Hmm. Not racist, huh? Anyway. In 1921, she earned an international pilot's license from the Federation Aeronautic Internationale. She traveled Europe, gaining further flying experience so that she could perform in air shows. She performed widely across the U.S. Her first Texas appearance was on June 19, 1925 in Houston. She encouraged young black people to become involved in aviation. She once refused to perform in Waxahachie, where she had grown up, until black people were allowed to use the same entrance as whites to the exhibition. In 1923, Bessie purchased a small plane, but crashed on the way to her first scheduled West Coast air show. The plane was destroyed, and Bessie suffered injuries that hospitalized her for three months. Returning to Chicago to recover, it took her another 18 months to find financial backers for a series of shows in Texas. Her flights and theater appearances there during the summer of 1925 were highly successful, earning her enough to make a down payment on another plane. Her new fame was also bringing in steady work. At last, she wrote to one of her sisters she was going to be able to earn enough money to open her school for flyers. Bessie left Orlando, Florida by train to give a benefit exhibition for the Jacksonville Negro World Welfare League, scheduled for May 1st, 1926. Her pilot, William D. Wells, Wills, flew her 
plane into Orlando, but had to make three forced landings because the plane was so worn and poorly maintained. On April 30th, 1926, Wills piloted the plane on a trial flight while Coleman sat in the other cockpit to survey the area over which she was to fly and parachute jump the next day. Her seatbelt was unattached because she had to lean over the edge of the plane while picking out the best sights for her program. At an altitude of 1,000 feet, the plane dived, flipped over, throwing Coleman out. Moments later, Wills crashed. Both were killed. Coleman had three memorial services in Jacksonville, Orlando, and Chicago. The last attended by the last one attended by thousands. She was buried in Chicago's Lincoln Cemetery and gradually over the years following her death achieved recognition at last as a hero of the er- of early aviation. In 1990, a street to Chicago's O'Hare Airport was named Bessie Coleman Drive, and in 1995, the U.S. Postal Service issued a commemorative stamp in her honor. So yeah, she had a short career in this, but it was just awesome while she was in it, you know? Yes, absolutely. Paving the way for Mm -hmm. some amazing stuff. Um, But yeah, awesome. Yeah. So this episode is very long hopefully this makes up for last week missing yeah yeah and uh from now on we should be pretty steady because you know we're like in our new house and everything should stay put for at least until the spring so yeah for sure well awesome sauce thank you guys so much for listening thank you yeah have a great one guys we'll see you next Uh, week don't forget to um rate review and subscribe yes please we'll see you next week bye bye she's the one